Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm excited to be here this morning. There's just, there's a little something too that confessing your faults one to another so that you can be healed. Amen. I'm telling you, I feel good this morning. And uh, my wife left a little earlier than I did to come to church and I went out in the carport and started praying a little bit and just began preaching out in the carport this morning. So I'm telling you, I feel a little bit of freedom this morning. Amen. I just believe that God's given us a word this morning for this time and this hour that we're living in. Just want to go ahead and get into that this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Judges. We're going to look at chapter number six. When pastor asked me to, to preach and just begin to pray and just begin to seek the Lord and Lord, just begin to reveal those things that I, that I texted to, to pastor and just begin to talk to me and said, we're going to look at the life of Gideon today and God's going to show us some things out of the life of Gideon that pertain to us today in this moment, in this hour that we're living in currently with what's going on in the world and different things. But so we're going to look at the life of Gideon today and I know it's a little warm and and I've already been warned that they're going to wave the flag if I preach too long. So I told them I had about three hours worth this morning. They said they didn't know if they could hang in that long and they'd start waving a flag. So I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you'll listen fast, I'll do my best to preach fast. Amen? Amen. Judges 6, we're going to start, uh, start in verse number 25. Going to read through verse number 32. Judges 6, 25 through verses 32. Here's what the Bible says. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, talking to Gideon, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose in the morning, I want you to pay very close attention to verse number 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And paying attention to verse number 29 as well. And they said one to another, who have done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Verse number 30 says, Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Listen, I want you to know, we're gonna, we may get there, we may not, I don't know. But I want you to notice and understand in that verse that these men are fighting for their idols. These men are fighting for idols that have no substance, that have nothing. And they have gone after the man that cut them down and said, where is he? Because we want to kill him because he's torn down the idols that we built for ourselves. I just want you to keep that in mind as we move forward. Verse number 31. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, will ye plead for Bel? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore, one, therefore on that day he called him Jerubel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. You don't have to turn there, but we're going to read one verse out of Matthew 6, number 24. Here's what it says. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day, God, that you've given us today, God, to come and to worship you. Father, I thank you, God, for this word, God, that you have burned inside of me today. And, Lord, I just ask you, God, to come and anoint me. Father, I'm absolutely nothing without you. God, I would not and could not do this without you, Lord. God, I speak to fear in my life now, and I command it in the name of Jesus that it must flee. And I loose the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God, to come and to rest upon me, God, to give that that you have given me today, Father. God, let your will be done, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Today, I want to preach to you on this thought, a heart without idols, a heart without idols. Now, I know that in some, in some circles, this is not necessarily a popular message, but I want you to know and understand today that the day and the hour that we are living in, we should be less concerned about popular, and we should be more concerned about what is right and what is truth. I love the feel-good messages. I do, and they have their place, and they have their time, but I also want a preacher who is going to stand behind the pulpit and preach the truth to me, especially the day and the hour that we're living in because I believe we're standing on the brink of Jesus returning. I believe we're standing on the brink of God looking at God the Son, at Jesus, and saying, would you go and get your bride? Would you go and bring home your ch- my children that they can come and live forever with us in eternity? I believe we're on the brink of that. And listen, I don't need some tickle me, feel good message today, but I need a preacher that will challenge me. I need a preacher that's been alone with God. And when he begins to speak, it is as if God is speaking directly to me and where I'm at in my life. Let our cry be today, God, search my heart, search my motives, Lord, search my intentions and expose them, God, for what they are. I want nothing today in my life. Listen, I want nothing in my life that will hinder me, God, from being in your presence. We should desire nothing in our life that will hinder us from being in the presence of Almighty God. Nothing in my life that if I allow it to remain, that when I stand before God, I'll hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I don't want only to hear it. Listen, I ran across this quote the other day, and I want to give it to you today, but it said this, I don't want to only hear a consumer version of the gospel, for if that is all that I hear, I will develop the wrong thing. I will develop my flesh. Then I will only want to hear preaching that, that, that is encouraging and uplifting, pre- uh, preaching that I don't want to hear preaching that challenges me in my flesh. Uh, my flesh desires to hear things that are going to make me feel good about myself, and if all we have is a consumer version of the gospel when we come and the preacher begins to challenge us and begins to speak into our life and where we're at and begins to deal with things in our life, we're going to tune a deaf ear to that and there's not going to be any change on the inside of the, uh, on the inside of us. There's not going to be any challenge in me to change and to live more for God, to get the fleshly things out of the way. And listen, if you and I aren't challenged by the word of God, if the Holy Ghost doesn't come and prick our hearts Listen, then we're not going to be changed. And you and I, in the day and the hour that we're living in, we need to be changed. I said we need to be changed. I'm talking about a heart without idols today, and I want to define what an idol is to you. I know I love definitions. But an idol is simply this. It's anything that draws our affections from God to itself. It's anything in our life that opposes God. 
It's anything that comes before God in our lives, and these things can be subtle and they can be deceptive, and most times they are. It is anything that sets itself up on the throne of our hearts or attempts to set itself up on the throne of our hearts, which is the rightful place of Jesus Christ. Merriam-Webster goes on to define idol as this. Listen, an object of extreme devotion. An object of extreme devotion. The word extreme is defined as this, as going to great or exaggerated lengths or radical. And, and listen, what that means is this, that, that those people that are assumed, that are consumed with idols, they're going to go to great and radical and exaggerated lengths for, for, for them to, to fulfill and to worship this idol. In other words, what they'll do is they'll spend thousands and thousands of, of dollars upon their idols. They'll spend countless hours tending to their idols, playing their idols, listening to their idols, and watching their idols. And if they give anything to God, on the other side of that at all. If they give anything, it is leftovers. And listen, God is more worthy of, of our lives than leftovers, and he will not court with a casual, and he will not compete with an idol that's in our life. Merriam-Webster goes on to define idol as this, a form or appearance visible but with no substance. I want to read that one again. An idol is defined as a form or a appearance that is visible, but it has no substance. Oftentimes, the word God, little g, is used in place of the word idol. The Hebrew word for, for God as used in Exodus 20 and 3 is Elohim. And when it's specifically used, it refers to God, big G. So what we are doing when we allow idols is we are actually saying, although our idols are little G gods, we're making them big G gods in our life, and we're saying, these idols are my God. That's what we're doing. Listen, I want to back that up in Scripture for you. We find that in Exodus chapter number 32. This is exactly what happened. In Exodus chapter number 32, you know the story. Moses has been up on the mountain with God for quite some time, and he left Aaron in charge. And these people go to Aaron, and they say, Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses. We don't know what happened to his God. We don't know where they're at. We want you to make us gods. And listen, I want you to know and understand something today. It is very important to the leadership that is over the church that you attend. I'm not down in any church. I'm not talking about any church, but I'm telling you that Aaron was a hireling. Aaron was going to do whatever the people demanded and asked of him to do. He was going to do it because he lived in fear, because he was only a hireling and not a shepherd. Listen, the church you attend, I, no matter where, and listen, I'm not talking about any church, but I'm telling you that if you attend church where there's a hireling, where he's going to bend to the bowels of the government and bend to the bowels of the people, you better run from that place and you better find you a church that is that is led by a shepherd and has leadership in there that is not going to bow to what the people demand and what the people say that he must do. But they go to this man, Aaron, and they tell him unto him in Exodus 32, verses 2 and through, through, two through 4, it says, Aaron said unto them, uh, they went to him and said, you make us gods. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives or your of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears. And he brought them unto, and they brought them unto Aaron and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, and they said these be thy 
thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So in other words, what, Mo, what Aaron did in this particular moment is he formed this idol for them to worship. He formed this idol. And listen, they knew God. They knew God had been the one that had brought them up out of Egypt. They knew it. And they knew that they needed to worship this God. They knew that they needed to worship. But without strong leadership, without godly leadership, they were led astray by the man Aaron. And he said, listen, this, this molten calf is your God. Do you know that when they were in Egypt, Egypt worshipped golden calves. They were trying to do things the way of the world. And listen to me today. If you're worshiping idols today, if we're allowing idols to be in part of our life, we're trying to worship the way of the world and we're not worshiping the one true God. What a statement I read in a Bible commentary pertaining to what happened in Exodus chapter number 32. And I want you to listen to this. This commentator said that the design of Satan is not to abolish God because he knows that he can't. But his design is to represent God by something else. I want to read that again. The design of Satan is not to abolish God because he knows that he can't. But his design is to represent God in our lives by something else. Is that not what happened in Exodus chapter number 32 when Aaron formed the golden calf and said, this is your God? That's what we have in this passage of Scripture. He formed the golden calf at the request, at the request of the people, and when it was formed, they called it God Big G. They called it God Big G, even though it was a little G God. So what they were saying is this is our God, and this is what we will worship. One of the greatest problems in the Christian world today is this, that we attach Jesus to whatever we're doing, and somehow we think God is okay with it. I said we attach Jesus to whatever we're doing, and somehow we think that God is okay with us just working him into our schedule. And what we don't realize is this, is that in many cases, the enemy has deceived us and represented Jesus to us as some other visible thing. Remember, one of the definitions of idol was this, a form or appearance visible, but with no substance. Don't we find this in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Church, listen, if we allow idols in our lives, all we have is a form of godliness and we're denying the power thereof. You want to know why so many come to church and, 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 and God moves, the big G God moves, but yet they leave unchanged and untouched by the one true God? It is because they have represented God in their lives as something else. And all they're doing is simply attaching God uh, to, to the, or Jesus to whatever they're doing and thinking that God is okay with that. And they have an appearance and they have a visible thing that they think is God, but it lacks the power to do anything in their life. It lacks the power to save. It lacks the power to deliver. It lacks the, pact to, the, the, the ability to set them free. And that's why they leave still bound up, still addicted to things. That's why they leave from this place and they live for God for a while, seemingly, but then they go back out and they live back into the life that they were before because they've turned back to idols and they've turned back to little G gods and they represent those things as God in their life.
If we allow idols in our lives, listen, all we have is a form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. There'll never be any change. Nothing will ever change in our life. We'll not be able to break addictions. We'll not be able to get over fear. We'll not be able to get over the things that bind us and the things that that, that wrap us up and keep us from being all that God has called us to be if we continue to allow idols in our lives. I want to take just a moment and, and, and lay a little bit of groundwork up to Judges 6 where we were, where we read from a few moments ago, and then we're going to look a little bit at the life of Gideon. Listen, I'm going to go fast, so just, so just listen fast, amen. But Judges, Judges, the book is the main historical link between Joshua and the time of Israel's kings. In my opinion, Judges is one of, if not the best books of the Bible that shows the grace of God and demonstrates his great love not only for the children of, of Israel but for all of his children. It shows his willingness to still move in and be with the people who make many mistakes and make mistake after mistake. It lets us know that when you and I mess up, if we come to God out of a heart of true repentance, that God will forgive us and he will restore us and he still will move and work inside of us. Over and over again in the book of Judges, we find Israel sinning and failing God miserably. God turning them over to an enemy for punishment. Israel repenting and God sending a judge to deliver them. We find this over and over again in the book of Judges. The book of Judges teaches us this, that, if, that fleshly men and women must have godly leadership in our lives. And we must be willing to submit to that leadership if we are to survive. I want to say that again. The the book of Judges teaches us that we as fleshly men and women, we must have godly leadership in our lives, and we must be willing to submit to that leadership that God has placed over us if we are willing to survive. There's four verses in Judges that tell us there was no king in Israel during those days. Two of those verses go on to say, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But we see over and over, we'll touch on that maybe in a minute if the Lord will allow, but we see over and over again as Israel was without a king and left to their own devices, idol worship increases, sin increases, all type of evil and immorality increased as well. We must ever understand this flesh will run to idols if we leave this flesh unattended. It will flock to sin and it will flock to immorality. Listen, I know the man that I used to be and I know that without Jesus, I know what I would run to. I know where I'd be today and I can guarantee you that I wouldn't be standing behind a pulpit preaching the word. I can guarantee you I probably wouldn't even be on these grounds today if I were left to myself and if I were left to the flesh and I were left without no godly leadership and without Jesus in my life. I know the man that's on the inside of me and I'm telling you I don't want to go back to that man but just as sure as I allow idols to reign inside of my life and refuse to tear them down I'm telling you that's exactly where I'll wind up again. The same goes for you today. If you've got idols in your life and you don't repent of those things I'm telling you it's going to wind up overtaking you and you're going to find yourself back in the life that you used to live before lost and undone. Hallelujah. This flesh, it'll run to idols. If we leave this flesh unattended, it'll flock to sin and it'll flock to immorality every single time. In Judges chapter number six, listen, for the sake of time, I was, I was going to pastor told me I was fake preaching today because I was preaching off an iPad. But I'm not having to deal with the wind. (laughs) Not that wind. (laughs) I'm telling you, I feel the wind of the Holy Ghost, amen. 
Whew, come on. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to read out of, out of Judges chapter number 6, but as we look at the call of Gideon, we find that, that Gideon, he only spans the Bible of, of between Judges chapter number 6 and Judges chapter number 8, so we don't know a whole lot about Gideon and his life. But what we do find is a lot of meat in between Judges chapter number 6 and Judges chapter number 8 that we can pull from the life of Gideon that I believe God desires for us to look at today. So I'm not going to read all these verses for the sake of time, so just hang on and we'll, we'll go down the list and we'll look at the things that, that God began to reveal to me as we looked at the, into the life of Gideon. But in Judges chapter number 6, this is what we find. that we, we find that Israel once again has done evil in the sight of the Lord. This evil was allowing sin and idol worship in their lives and neglecting God altogether or attempting to worship him alongside their idols. How many of us have found ourselves in this same place today? Maybe unbeknownst to us. Maybe we don't realize what we're doing, but how many have found themselves today trying to worship God, but at the same time allowing idols in their life? And listen, I'm telling you that God is not going to have any part of that. He's not going to be around anything to do with that because as I've already said one time, God is not going to compete with the idols that are in our life. But they tried to worship God and, and worship their idols alongside of him. If God was in any of their lives at all, the children of Israel in the book of Judges, if God was in any of their lives at all, at best he was simply an, adi an addition or something they added to what they were doing. And somehow they believed this was okay with God. Listen, that sounds a lot like what I said a few moments ago and a lot like what is going on in this world. It sounds like what many of us do today. We have idols of sports and entertainment. And listen, I'm not going to go down the list of what all these idols could be. You know what they are, but they could be sports or they could be entertainment. And listen, that we allow these things to take us out of the presence of God. We allow these things to take the time that we should be spending with God. And we spend the time with these idols looking at these things or playing these things or watching these things, whatever the case may be. And we spend all this time doing this, but yet we'll, 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 they'll keep us out of, out of the house of God on Sundays and keep us from going to things involving the church and from God things and we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll say a prayer at the end of a ball game that has kept us out of a Sunday morning service and we'll somehow think that God is okay with that. Listen, I'm not knocking sports and I'm not knocking entertainment but I'm telling you that I believe God has stopped these things for us in this moment to give us a space of grace to repent, to look inward in ourselves, to see what the idols of our hearts are, to see really who the true God of our heart is. Listen, what have we been desiring in this time? What have we been desiring in this shut-in? Have we been desiring for things to go back to normal so that we can get back to our ball games and our movie theaters and our restaurants? Or has this turned us to our faces on our faces before God? Has it driven us to our knees? Has it driven us to fasting? Has it driven us to praying like we've never played, prayed before? Has it driven us to be in the Word like we've never been in the Word before? Or do we desire for things just to go back to the way they were so we can get back to doing things the way we've always done them. Listen, I believe in my heart that God don't want us to return to doing things the way we were doing them before. If that was working, I don't believe God would have stopped everything and got our attention and given us this space of grace that we need in this moment and this day we're living in to look at the idols and the things in our life. And so in Judges chapter 6, verse number 1, this is what we find. Without a king, 
Without a other godly leader, the children of Israel time and again gravitated to idol worship. As we've already said, our flesh every time, if we don't have godly leadership in our lives, if we don't have the Holy Ghost in our lives and we allow idols in our lives, listen, without leadership, our, our, our fleshly man will gravitate to idol worship. As a result of what happened in verse number one that we read, God turned them over to, the, to an enemy as we find here with them being turned over to the hand of Midian for seven years. I looked up that name Midian. Y'all know that I love definitions. And that name Midian, this is what it means. It means strife. Strife is defined as struggle or fight or violent fight. When we allow idols in our lives, there will always be a struggle. There will always be a fight. Listen, this is not to say that as a Christian we won't struggle with no idols in our lives because the Bible tells us that we will have trials and we will have tribulations. We find this in John 16, We also find it in 1 Peter 4 and 12. But what it does imply is spiritual struggles and spiritual fights. In essence, when we allow idols, we will encounter spiritual unrest with no peace and no contentment, always living in fear and hiding from our enemies. I want to read that again to you. When we allow idols we will in, in our lives, what we will encounter is spiritual unrest. We'll have no peace and no contentment, and we'll always be living in fear, hiding from our enemies. You can always tell somebody that has allowed an idol inside of their life. You want to know why? Because they cannot get enough of that idol. They can't get enough of the sports. They play sports in the regular season. They got to go and do some travel ball. And listen, I'm not knocking any of that, and I'm, and I'm not saying that everybody that does it, that it's an idol to them, but I'm telling you that they cannot get enough of it. People that allow idols in their life, they cannot get enough of this idol. There's always got to be more of it. They've always got to take it to another level. They've always got to watch it. They can't just watch one season, but they've got to watch all 15 seasons. And when those seasons are over, they got to find another show and they got to binge watch all those seasons. Whatever the case may be, whatever your idol may be, if it's relationships, they'll go from one relationship to the other. They can't wait on one. To, one is barely even even gotten cold yet and they're moving on to the next one. That's a, if, if relationship is, it could be anything. If it's money, you'll never have enough money but you'll always be striving, always be looking, always be fighting to get more money, to do whatever you gotta do to have more money if that be your idol. So what we find in verse number two, we find that the children of Israel have turned back to idol worship and listen to what I said. And when we allow idols, we encounter spiritual unrest, no peace and contentment, always living in fear and hiding from our enemies. Verse number two, this is exactly what we find in verse number two where it says, because the children of Israel, it said they made them dens, they made them caves, they made them strongholds and they're living in fear over the enemy, hiding in dens and hiding in caves. What are many of us doing today? What are many people doing today as it relates to this COVID-19. I'm not saying it's an idol, but people are hiding in fear and people are, are living in fear and hiding themselves in their homes. I'm not saying that God is the author of this, of this COVID-19, but listen, I'm telling you that God has certainly allowed it and it has been said that our idols have been shut down because of it. Listen, I believe that God, this is not a time for us to live in fear, but it's a time for us to operate in great faith. I don't, I'm, listen, I'm not, I know some church Churches haven't had a choice, but listen, this is not a time for the church to shut its doors. This is not a time for the church to not assemble, and this is not a time for the church not to meet. Listen, we've got the answer, and his name is Jesus, and if we don't give them Jesus, who's going to give them Jesus? 
If we don't tell them that Jesus can heal COVID-19 and stop it dead in its tracks, who's going to tell them it's not the world? Because you know what the world says? God had nothing to do with this. We slowed the numbers down. We did that. And they mock God and they push him to the side. The world's not going to give them Jesus. The church must. And we cannot cower in fear. But this is the time that we must rise up and say we're not even going to allow the idol of fear to grip us. But we're going to assemble and we're going to go from door to door and from street to street and from parking lot to parking lot if we have to bring them Jesus that's what we're going to do hallelujah hallelujah you hear me idol worship will cause men to cower in fear it will cause men to cower in fear because that idol has no substance it has nothing that can deliver from fear It has no saving power. It has no redemption power. It has no restoration power. It has no power at all to do anything but to cause you to hide in fear. Verses number three and four, this is what we find. Verses number three to four, we find that the Midianites and the Amalekites would come up against Israel and destroy the increase of the earth until there was no sustenance left for Israel. Hear hear what I'm saying to you today. Israel would sow and the enemy would take. Israel would sow and the enemy would take. They would sow and the enemy would come and take and destroy. When we allow idols in our lives, we're doing the same thing. We may gain a little bit of spiritual ground, but if we don't tear down the idols in our life, the enemy will come and he will be able to take it all back. We will gain a little bit, and the enemy will take. We will gain a little bit, and the enemy will take. We will walk in victory for just a little while, but then we'll walk in defeat for the most of the part. We'll walk in victory for a little while, and then we'll walk in defeat. We'll walk on on spiritual highs, but then we'll find ourselves low and depressed again. I'm not saying those things necessarily doesn't come without idol worship, but when we allow, but the difference is this. When, when we're worshiping the idol, that idol has no ability to bring peace to me. That idol has no... No ability to sustain me. And in those times of trouble, in those times of tribulation, I'm going to turn to something else and I'm not going to have any peace in what I'm going through. The difference is if I'm worshiping God and tear down the idols in my life, when trials come, when tribulation comes, there's going to be a peace on the inside of me that passes all understanding. How in the world are you having joy? How in the world do you have a smile upon your face and going through the tragedy that you're going through? It's because I have Jesus. Jesus in my life. How are you still standing upright with the things that you're facing and the things that are going on in your life? Listen, church, it's because I've got Jesus and I've tore down the idols in my life that have nothing, that have no ability to keep me, that have no ability to give me peace, but Jesus does, and he's on the throne of my heart, and that's how I make it through trials, and that's how I make it through tribulation. I don't have to hide in fear. Because the Bible says that God is love and that perfect love casts out all fear. When we allow idols in our life, the enemy comes, even though we may gain a little bit of spiritual ground, and he comes and he takes those things back from us if we refuse to tear down the idols in our life. What the enemy was trying to do in these verses in Judges chapter number 6 is this. The enemy was trying to starve them out. The enemy will always try to starve us out. 
When we allow idols, we're allowing the enemy to starve us. He is starving us spiritually, and if we don't repent of idols eventually, we will hear the words, depart from me, because I never knew you, because we have been starved spiritually, and Jesus is no longer part of our lives. If we aren't careful in the midst of this pandemic with so many things shut down, we will allow the enemy to starve us. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting this mess to be over with so that we can go back to some form of normalcy, but I've already said it one time, but this is the time we should be praying, we should be fasting, we should be worshiping, we should be getting in the word like we've never done before. It's not the intention of God for us to sit around in the middle of this pandemic and hope and wait for things to get back to the way they were before. If that's all we are doing, the enemy is starving us out of what God intends for us to see and for us to do and for the place he desires for us to get in the middle of this pandemic. I want you to know something, a starving man will go to great lengths and in desperation do what he thinks he must do to feed his appetite. Whether that appetite is one of the flesh or whether that appetite is one of the spiritual. In my law enforcement career, I saw men who having no money would go to the grocery store and they'd attempt to steal groceries to feed their family so their families could eat. An otherwise honest man with no criminal history but starving, not having the money to feed his family, would go out and break the law and risk his very freedom in order to be able to feed his family. On the spiritual side, let's look at it this way. This is why so many are addicted to drugs and to sex and to alcohol. They're unaware that they are looking for spiritual things. They're looking for God, and yet the enemy has deceived them into thinking what they are looking for is in a drug, in a bottle, or in a sexual relationship. And unbeknownst, maybe even to them, the enemy is starving them out and is starving them of life and is starving them of life eternal. That's what the enemy desires to do inside of us. Listen, we're all looking for something to worship. We were made to be worshipers. God invented us and created us to worship. And whether we know it and whether we understand that today or not, we're looking for something to worship, and we're going to worship something. Listen, I choose to worship Jesus this morning because he's the only one that can bring life. That idol will starve me of the very life, and I'll be walking around as a dead man, not as a spiritually dead man, not as a fleshly man that is dead unto Christ, but I'll be dead to spiritual things, and there will be no life inside of me. So finally, we find that Israel cries out to God for deliverance, and God calls a man by the name of Gideon. Verses 11 through 12, this is what we find. Gideon, you know the story, was in hiding. He was threshing wheat and trying to hide it and and himself from the enemy. This is what we find. This was not a normal place to be threshing wheat. Wheat was threshed out in the open, so as they threshed it, the wind could blow away the chaff. So this was not a normal place for him to be. Listen, this is not a normal place for us to be outside gathering in church, although I like it. I, I've been liking our outside services. But this is things that are going on right now are not normal. We find Gideon here in not a normal place, hiding from the enemy, threshing the wheat so that he could feed his family. This is what the Lord spoke to me about what Gideon was doing. And he said, the enemy would have looked at Gideon and seen a man cowering in fear from his enemies. But when I looked at Gideon, when the Lord looked at Gideon, he called him mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. And God said, I don't look on men through the same eyes as man looks on man. I didn't see a man that was hiding and cowering in fear as the enemy saw That's what the enemy saw, and that's what the enemy would have called him. You're a coward, and you're living in fear. And the enemy would have defeated him in that, or would have believed that he would have been able to defeat him in that moment because of the way Gideon was living. 
and because of the things that Gideon was doing. But God said, I did not see him that way. I walked up to him and I said, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. In other words, when God looked at Gideon, he saw the purpose for which he had created Gideon for. God looked and he saw in the life of Gideon, he saw what God, he saw what he had created him for. He didn't see a coward, but he saw a mighty man of valor. He didn't see a man that was cowering in fear from his enemies, but what he looked into was the heart of Gideon and saw a man that was risking his very life to feed himself and to feed his family. He saw a mighty man of valor, and that's what he called him by. You mighty men of valor, God is with you. I looked up valor in the Hebrew, and this is what it means. Strength, might, ability, efficiency, or strong. So the Lord didn't say, hey, coward. The Lord didn't say, hey, drug addict. Hey, adulterer. Hey, alcoholic. Hey, fornicator. Hey, idolater. No, God called Gideon by what he had created Gideon to be. He said, hey, you mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Listen, there's more to the name of Gideon, and we're going to look at that in a moment, but God didn't call him by what he was in that moment or what the enemy saw him by. God called him by what he had created him to do. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic when the enemy comes calling on us, he always calls us by what we were before we met Jesus. Isn't it ironic that he always reminds us of who we were in the past? Isn't it ironic that he always calls us adulterer or fornicator or meth head or whatever whatever it was? Isn't it ironic that the enemy calls us that? Isn't it ironic that he's always reminding us of who he thinks we are? I found that ironic. But listen, when God calls us, he doesn't call us by by what we used to be. He doesn't call us by what we are, but he calls us out of what we are and what we've let ourselves become and into what he created us to be. Listen, today in this hour, in this last day, God is calling out to some of you, hey, mighty man of valor, hey, mighty woman of valor. Listen, don't let the past uh, keep you down. Don't let what you did even yesterday keep you from being what God has called you to do. The world may look at you and say, hey, drug dealer, hey, drug addict, hey, adulterer, hey, fornicator. But listen, God is calling out to some of you today, and he's saying, hey, mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, rise up. There's a work I have for you to do. Hey, preacher. Hey, pastor. Hey, missionary. Rise up. The Lord is with you. I've got a work for you to do. God doesn't call us by what we are. God doesn't call us by what we've allowed ourselves to become, but God calls us by what he has created us to do and as he has created us to be. Help us, Lord, to see with his spiritual eyes what you have called for us to do, what you have purposed for us to be. Lord, let us see those things and not believe the lie of the enemy. Verse number 13 of Judges chapter number 6. The Lord has come to Gideon and he said, Listen, I'm with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon asked a question here, kind of a startling question. He says, God, if you're with us, then why has this evil befallen us? God, where are your miracles that our fathers told us about? God, if you're with the church, if you're with us, then why has this thing come upon us? Where's your miracles, God? Where are they at? And listen, if the church is not seeing these things today, thank God we see those things here. But the church world as a whole in America 
It's not seeing the miracles of God. We're not, I'm not saying they're, they're not in pockets and places, but we're not walking in the power that God has designed for the church to walk in. We're not. And we've got to ask ourselves, God, where are you? Where's the miracles? Where's the things that we've read about from the days of old and, and from the things of old and all the greats of old? Where, where, where are those things, the things that Brother David talked about just a couple of weeks ago? Where are those things? And listen today, I'm telling you, it is not God that is not moved, that is moved. It is you and it is I that is moved. Could it be that we are so full of idol worship that God is nowhere near our bodies? Could it be that he's not moving because we're so full of idol worship and God's not going to compete with an idol? He's not going to compete with those things in our life. And could it be that if we repent of these things in our life and we're about to see the miracles of God like we've never seen before? Could it be that God has given the church the space of grace to repent, to get rid of all the idols, and we're about to see revival like we've never seen? it before. We're about to see dead man get up and begin to walk. We're about to see cancers fall off. We're about to see financial miracles come to people's life. We're about to see things that neither has it even entered into our hearts that we could see and that we could be part of in this last day and hour that we're living in. Listen to me, the blood of Jesus still saves, it still sets free, it still redeems, and it still restores. I'm here to tell you, it's not God that has gone out of business, but we've gone out of the business of God. We better get rid of idols, we better repent of them, and we better get back into God's business because I'm telling you today that he's still on the throne, that he's still in control, that he's still working, that he's still moving, that he's still saving, that he's still setting people free today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus is still saving today and setting free, redeeming and restoring. Hallelujah. So in verse number 15, listen. We're just looking at the life of Gideon today. I'm just doing what God told me to do. God said to look at the life of Gideon and he's going to show us some things. And in verse number 15, listen, this is what we find. God has chosen Gideon. And Gideon says, why me, Lord? Why me? Lord, don't you know that I'm from the poorest tribe in Israel and that I'm the poorest man in the poorest tribe? Why me? God, why are you choosing me? God chose the poorest man from the poorest tribe of Israel. Listen, some of you today may feel that you're the least here. Some of you may feel like there's no way that God could use you to do anything. But I'm telling you today that God is calling out to you. Thou mighty man, thou mighty woman of valor, I'm with you. Rise up and do what I've called you to do. God chooses the weak things to confound the strong. The dumb things to confound the wise. God's calling out to some of you today, and he's saying, listen, you're not the least, but you're the head, not the tail. That's what he's saying to some of you today. Rise up and do what I've called you to do. That's why he called Gideon to show to us as an example that we don't have to be somebody that's great and got a lot of degrees and all these things behind you. There's nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with those things. But remember when the disciples were preaching, what they say, these are unlearned men. These are unlearned men. Jesus is just looking for somebody today that will get alone with him, that will be with him. 
that he can use. And he's saying, listen, I'm with you. Just rise up and do what I've called you to do. Look at the example that I've given you in Gideon and rise up and do what I've called you to do. I'm trying to hurry. Verse 17 through 21, Gideon brings a gift to the Lord. The Lord accepts it, and then Gideon realizes that he's seen the Lord. And what does Gideon do in this moment? He says, alas, my Lord. And the next verse says, the Lord says, don't fear, but be at peace because you're not going to die. He didn't find any pride that swelled up in Gideon in that moment. When the Lord came and used him and, and spoke to him, he didn't find any pride that rose up to him. It reminds me of Isaiah in chapter number 6 when he saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple. He didn't rise up and say, well, look at me. I've got the presence of the Lord upon me. I've got great anointing upon my life. Look at me. No. He said, woe is me, for I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Listen, it's in. God's not going to give us grace if we're full of pride, but God's going to give us grace when we humble ourselves as Gideon did here. He says, listen, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. But God says, I'm with you. Rise up, you mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you in this day, in this hour. In verse number 22, when Gideon realized it was the Lord, I just said it, he believed that he was going to die. He didn't rise up in pride, but he, re he realized that he was in the presence of holiness and, of, and the holiness and the beauty of God and that he deserved death. How many today, when God uses them, mind, they swell up with pride and they think now that they're something or somebody because God has used them mightily? Verse number 24, Gideon, now knowing that he had seen the Lord face to face, he had the only proper response that he could have. It is the same response that you and I should have, and this is, this is what Gideon did. If you read it, he built an altar and he worshiped God. Listen, in the presence of God, if we desire the presence of God in our lives, we're living in a time that we should begin to worship God. We should fall on our face. We should rebuild the altars of prayer in our life. And at those altars, we should pray and we should seek God and we should worship God. It was in this moment that God gave Gideon peace for what he was about to use Gideon to do. Listen, this world is in chaos. This world is in pandemonium. And if we're going to have the peace of God in our life to do what God is going to call us to do, moving forward and into the future, then we're going to have to build ourselves an altar again and we're going to have to begin to worship God and we're going to have to begin to praise God and seek him like we've never sought on him before. It is only then that God is going to give us the peace for the coming days ahead. If you and I want peace in this world with all the chaos and all that's going on, we must become a people that get in the presence of God and worship him. There's another interesting thing that I found about Gideon in verse number 25. He was the only man, according to verse number 25, that seems in his family to be worshiping God. The Bible said that Gideon's father had built this altar of Baal and the grove, that he had it. So Gideon was the only man in his family that seemed to be worshiping God in this passage of Scripture that we read. And listen, so God calls Gideon, reveals himself to Gideon, and then he tells Gideon, Gideon to get to doing what I've called you to do. And this is the part that I wanted to get to. Listen. The first thing that he tells Gideon to do in, in Judges 6, 25, through, think about verse number 32, this is what he says. He tells him to throw down the altars of Baal, to throw down the grove that is beside it. I looked up that word throw down, and this is what it means. It means to pull down in pieces, to break, or to beat down. That's what it means. <clears throat> In other words, what God is saying is, Gideon, don't go play around with this idol that your father has built. 
Don't go up and ask it politely if it'll go away. Don't go up and say, oh, idol, would you please go away? You're bothering me today. I don't need you around. Maybe I'll check on you tomorrow. No, what, what he is saying, he's saying, Gideon, you go violently take this thing down and break it in pieces and get rid of it. It is the same for you and I today. It is the same thing that you and I must do today with the idols that are in our, in our life. Listen, we must abhor them, we must hate them, and we must beat them down and tear them in pieces so that God can use us and put his purpose in us to, for what he has called us to do. I looked up the name of Gideon. I know you're shocked by that. But I told you that there was more to the name of Gideon. You see, God looks at you and he looks at me and he has called us for what he has created us to do. So not only did, did he call him a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of might and strength, but Gideon's very name means this, hewer. H-E-W-E-R. I looked up that word. I know that shocks you too, but this is what it says in Merriam-Webster's dictionary that a hewer, what it means to be a hewer, it means to cut down by blows of an ax. It means strength, ability, might, efficiency, strong. You wonder why he called him a mighty man of valor? I looked up the name of Gideon on another website, and this is what it says. He that breaks or, or, or he that breaks or a destroyer. Listen, Gideon was born to tear down idols, and that's why God called him in this moment. That's why God said, you're a mighty man of valor. That's why he was given the name of Gideon, because he was a man that was born to tear down idols in his life and in the life of his family and in the lives of the people in his nation. That's what Gideon was born to do. Listen, it is also what you and I are born to do today. Listen, there's more to us than that as well, but one thing we were built and made to do and born to do was to tear down the idols, tear down the idols of false gods and false worship, to tear those things down in our life. That's what we were made to do. I'm going to close with this if my player would come. <laughs> my player. I'm getting it. I, got a, I wore my Jared jacket today to preach in. It is. He bought me this jacket. He's got one just like it. <laughs> but something I want you to notice in Judges chapter number 6 as Gideon was told to go and to tear down this idol of Baal and the grove that was beside it. When the men the next morning woke up and they realized that their idols had been torn down, they were angry. They were wroth. And they went seeking who is the one that tore our idols down. Who did this? Who tore my idol down? Who took away the idol? Who took away the thing that I built with my hands? Who took away the thing that I worshiped? Who did this? We must find this individual and we must kill him. These men were fighting for their idols. They were fighting for their false gods. They were fighting for the very things that had no substance to do anything. They were fighting for, for the, the, the very thing that had no ability to deliver them from the oppression of the Midianites that they were in. And they were fighting for these things. They were mad and wanted to kill the man that, that, that had torn these things down. Listen, if you want to rouse somebody up, you start preaching against their idol. 
You start dealing with the idols that are in their life. You want somebody to talk about you and ridicule you and, 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 and persecute you. You begin dealing with things in their life that take the place of God. You begin preaching on those things and telling them that if they don't repent from idols, they're going to die and they're going to bust hell wide open because God said, I'll have no other gods before me. He's still, the, I know that's maybe in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you, he's or in the Old Testament, but God, what did he say in the New Testament? He said, I'm the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Today, God is still not going to compete with idols in our life. He's still going to have no other gods before him. Well, you want to know why? Because he's jealous. That's his very name. He says, because I'm a jealous God and I'm jealous over you. But he's not jealous over us the way that we're jealous over people. It's a godly jealousy. He's jealous over us because he's zealous. I looked up that word one time. I know that shocks you that I look stuff up. But what, what it means is that he is an ardent and passionate pursuit for you and I. Listen, God is pursuing you today. I don't care if you've been saved for 900 years today. God is still pursuing you. And I said it in the beginning of this thing. We need to change even this very week, God, I've been saved for seven years now. And even, even things in my life, seven years in, God's still having to deal with things in my life. Listen, none of us have arrived yet. None of us are perfect yet. We need to change. We need to allow God to move inside of us and to change us and take us from glory to glory. There's things in us that we need to change. But these men were fighting for their idols. They're fighting for them. How many people today are fighting for their idols? How many people today just want to get back to going to ball games? Want to get back to careers and money? And listen, I, I, I know we've got to work and provide. And listen, I'm telling you, Pastor said it last night, we don't preach this word. Nobody does. To where this word has not cut us. I've had to deal with some idols in my life. God has brought them to my attention. And I've had to begin to deal with these things. I'm not perfect and I'm not there yet. But God is saying, listen, do you want to worship the idol that has no power, that has no ability to do anything in your life other than bind you up and keep you in fear and keep you out of the purpose and the plan that I have for your life? Do you want to worship that or do you want to come to me and worship me? Do you want to fight for that? Because there was a day in my life I fought for my idols. There was a day in all of our life we fought for our idols. I fought for them. I was going to fulfill the idols in my life. I fought for those things. And today God is asking me and he's asking you, will you fight for me the way that you fought for your idols? Will you fight for my presence? Will you worship me as much and as hard or more than you worshiped your idols? Because I'm going to tell you something. I was a good idol worshiper. I was. You were at some point in your life. Maybe you are now. Listen, idols can be anything. Idols can be sleep. It can be food. It can be work. It can be jobs. It can be ministry. It can be sports, it could be education, it could be entertainment, it could be anything, anything in our life. Are we going to fight for those things or are we going to fight for God? These men were angry that their idols had been torn down. They were mad. 
people fight for their idols today. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, surely God knows my heart. They're fighting for an idol when they say that. They're fighting for an idol. They're they're holding on to their right to hold on to an idol in their life. God knows my heart. He knows we all got to have a little vice in our life. No. God said, I came to set you free from everything. God does knows knows our heart. And what does he say? It's deceitful above all things. It scares me that God knows my heart. It should scare you that God knows your heart today because he knows what's on the inside of you. I know my heart and it scares me to death. Because I know what I'm capable of. Because I know what I'd go back to without Jesus. Listen, it's time that we tear down the idols of our lives and we stop fighting for them, but we fight for Jesus like we've never fought for him before. In the latter part of Judges, Chapter number in the latter part of Judges 6, going into chapter number 7, we find Gideon preparing for and going out to battle against the Midianites. You know the story. God reduces Gideon's army from 32,000 men down to 300. They obey what God tells them to do. And we see as the Lord, as they begin to go out to battle and they obey what the Lord had spoken to them through Gideon, we find that the Lord turns the enemy upon itself and they begin killing each other and they flee. In chapter 8, we find Gideon and his army faint, but still pursuing the enemy. And eventually, Gideon is victorious. He defeats the enemy, and Israel is delivered from the hand of Midian. I believe, had Gideon not torn down the idols in his life, and torn down the idols of his nation, I believe he would have been never able to defeat the enemies. Never able to defeat the Midianites. He would never know God as Jehovah Shalom, the God our peace. And so it is with us today. If we don't tear down the idols in our lives, the enemy will defeat us. If we don't tear down the idols in our lives, the enemy will defeat us. And we will not experience and walk in the peace of God in the coming days ahead. There's many things today that we've looked at and learned from the life of Gideon. But there's one more thing that we must learn. Is that when we tear down these idols in our life, we must be very careful not to allow them to be built back up again. We must not build them back up again. We find over in, 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 in chapter number 8, after, Gideon, after Gideon's victory, the children of Israel asked him to be king, but he refused and said, you'll worship the Lord. He answered properly in that passage of Scripture. But we see in chapter, number eight, chapter 8, verses 24 through 27, that he requests every man to give him the earrings of prey. And in my Bible, this is what it says. It says, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And you know what that Ishmaelites, we know that is a shadow and type of the flesh. And we said earlier that our flesh will always gravitate to sin. It will always gravitate to idol worship if we left it unattended and we give it any place. And out of these earrings, Gideon made an ephod, which according to Bible commentary was probably a copy of the outer garment used by the high priest. And he put this ephod in his city. And the Bible said Israel went whoring after it. In other words, they began to worship this ephod 
that Gideon had made. One commentator put it this way, and the very man who had destroyed a gross form of idolatry in his home and in his city set up a refined form of the same evil in his kingdom. Listen, an idol is an idol is an idol. It doesn't matter what you clothe it with. It doesn't matter how you change it. It is an idol. And we must tear down the idols of our heart and not allow those things to be built back up again. We learn that here from Gideon. We must give no place to this flesh. We must destroy the idols that are in our lives. There's some of you here today that you've been hiding from an enemy just threshing wheat. You've just been threshing the wheat. But listen, God is saying to you today, I, the Lord, am with you. Tear down the idols that are in your life, and through me you are strong. You will be mighty, and you are able. Tear down the idols in your life and rise up and be who I have called you to be and do what I've called you to do. Listen, Jesus deserves and he demands our all. I'll close with just a few thoughts that I wrote down here. Idols in a life bring nothing but weakness and death. They have no spiritual or eternal substance at all. But if not destroyed, they have spiritual and eternal consequences. Idols have no power to change, no power to set free, no power to deliver, no power to bring hope, no power to restore, no power to redeem, no power to save. Idols keep us from experiencing the fullness of the love of God, having his anointing upon our lives and keeping us from doing what God has called us to do. We must take idols seriously, and we must tear them down in our lives, for God will not be second in our lives. He's not a second place God. But if we read in the Bible, he's a God that wins time and time and time again. We sing a song that he's never lost a battle. We must abhor the idols in our life. We must abolish them. We must run from them no matter the cost, no matter what we lose. We must run from the idols that are in our life. Because I can promise you this, if we wind up in hell because we refuse to tear down and destroy our idols, we'll live for an eternity wishing we had. So in closing, let us just search our lives as Rafe begins to sing in a moment. Let us search our lives today to see if we, had any, we have any golden calves in our lives, to see if we have any idols in our lives, and help us, Lord, to tear these idols down. Help us to tear them down. How do we do it? How do we do that? We don't seek to just be forgiven of our idols, but we seek to be changed. To be forgiven is necessary, but to be changed is what we must seek in repentance. Our thoughts changed, our words changed, our actions changed, everything changed. We must continue to seek to be changed until Jesus has completed his work in us, and this work will not be completed until we see him face to face. The pursuit of being changed is to pursue a lifestyle of deep repentance. Francis Frangipain said it this way in his book, The Truth About Holiness and the Presence of the Lord. He said this, a lifestyle of repentance is a lifestyle with a vigilant, contrite attitude that refuses to allow sin or self to become an idol in our hearts.